0: Welcome to the Lighthouse Writers Workshop podcast, because sometimes what a writer needs most is other writers, even virtually. The LitFest salons aim to provide provocative, relevant discussions in a dynamic and informal way. There is food, drink, and good old-fashioned audience participation. On June 19th, 2013, the topic of the salon was The Scent of a Woman's Ink, The Question of Gender Bias in Publishing. The panelists were Amanda Ray, Nick Arvin, Jenny Shank, and Michael Nye.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks. So you know who I am. I'm Andrea, and um, this is the salon. Have any of you come to the other salons? Oh crap! So I can't say this is the salon I was most looking forward to, because. But actually, it really is. It really is, because I think fighting is going to happen, wrestling is going to happen, thumb wrestling is going to happen. This is going to be exciting and and raw and fierce. Um, yeah. And you guys are welcome to chime in like that every few
2: minutes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're starting here with Michael Nye, who flew in today just for this fight tonight. He's the editor of the Missouri Review, uh, which has published two of the other panelists, one male, one female, (laughs) Discuss. Um, maybe you, too. No. No. Me neither. So... Um,
2: <laughs>
1: he, his book, his first collection of stories, Strategies Against Extinction, just came out a few months ago, right? In October. And we have it here. He will sign, I have heard, if you ask him really nicely. Because he's Midwestern. Or meanly, I don't really... <laughs> <laughs> um, next to him is Amanda Ray, who not only has the fine distinction of teaching at Lighthouse, which is amazing, um, but she also has published in the Missouri Review, um, in the Kenyon Review, in so many other reviews, like Iowa Review, Pushcart. She's a Pushcart Prize winner. I think about Amanda's bio a lot. <laughs> and... She's gone to Provincetown. What was the fancy Wisconsin one?
3: Oh, the it was the fine, I don't know. Yeah, it was oh, a really good it was a
1: fellowship. It was an amazing fellowship that only really great people get. And Amanda got it. And um, anyway, I'm expecting great things from Amanda. Now we're going on to Nick. <laughs> Nick um, not only has the fine distinction of teaching at Lighthouse, but he also has three books out. He has The Reconstructionist articles of war and in the electric eden all of which are highly recommended um and he will i've heard sign books if asked even not nicely um and he's also an engineer he's been in the new yorker and the missouri review forthcoming so, and then we've got Jenny Shank, who, she teaches every summer at LitFest. I always try to get her to teach more, but she has these other priorities, like children, and she lives in Boulder and stuff like that, which is really irritating, but uh, <laughs> one, day. one day she'll be here. One day you won't be able to get rid of me. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> and she's appeared in a ton of journals as well, like Alaska Quarterly, Michigan Quarterly. Mm-hmm my God! How did I know that? I don't know. Um, and she also has her book, *The Ringer*, out over there that she will sign if even looked at nicely. So um, <laughs> these are our panelists. They're going to be talking about uh, this big hot topic, gender bias. We kind of all agree that it, it exists. But when I was talking to the um, the editors of the Normal School and Colorado Review earlier, they brought up that sometimes there's a skewed number of submissions, too. So maybe you guys will talk about that. Um, none of this is scientific. It's all going to be from the gut and really spontaneous. So um, anyway, I think Nick is first, right? Yes. And I'm going to pass out this stuff from Amanda. So welcome to Pamela.
4: Um, thank you all for coming. So uh, a couple people in the last couple of weeks have asked me, they said, why are you on that panel? Or <laughs> salon. And um, the reason that is that it was my idea. Um, and when it's your idea, you get to be on it. Um, and uh, it, was, it was my idea because, um, you know, the lighthouse sends out uh, an email to their instructors in the fall asking for for pitches for classes and salons, for LitFest Fest, and uh, and I threw this one out here there because um, for a couple reasons. One was I was I was trying to think of a topic that uh, might potentially generate a little conflict um, between the the people up up front um, because in my experience that's uh, the, that those are the most interesting salons um, and the most fun. Um, so I was trying to think of a topic that had at least the potential to to throw some sparks. Um, and then I was also trying to, th- I, you know, th- this topic came to mind because it's, it's been in the air. It's, um, it's, it, it felt like a topic that I've been reading about. Um, it felt like a topic that, I, but th- that, while well, I've been reading about it, I I haven't been engaging with it um, within the lighthouse community, or really with a you know anyone that I know personally. Um, and I feel like, actually, just in the time since I I've put the pitch out there, I feel like I've I've seen more discussion of it um, on social media at least. I've seen um, stuff starting to pop up in Facebook and Twitter. Um, and maybe that means something maybe it's just my Facebook and twitter um, but it's you know to me it's it's an important topic um and like i said it's it's one that i haven't seen discussed within the lighthouse community it's um, and and i don 't know why that is um it you know I bear some responsibility for that i mean i'm an instructor, and it's a topic that i haven't been bringing up in my classes um so, uh, you know, there's that. I wonder if, um, you know, I'm a guy. I have a penis. So maybe uh, people are, may- maybe women are discussing it amongst themselves. But when there's a guy in the room, um, maybe it would feel like whining to to bring up that topic. And so it doesn't get brought up. Um, so it it seemed like an opportunity to me to... Bring it out in the open, talk about it, um, and then the—I mean—the question that I really have is, you know, so the, the handouts show the statistics for, um, you know, women, percentage of women um, with bylines um, in various uh, publications, the Paris Review. I don't—I don't know what you put on there, but yeah, the, the one side is for book
3: publishing. One side is um, books published. The other side is overall statistics for journals. And that includes bylines, um, reviews, who is being reviewed, as well as who is doing the reviewing. So it's sort of an overall gender thing.
5: Yeah, Most of them look like this. The women are blue. I only printed out one because I didn't want to run out of red ink (laughs) on my printer.
4: (laughs) (laughs) It's red America, blue America all over again. Um, So, you know, the the statistics are startling and... to me at least clo- show a clear clear bias um, and I mean there there are a lot of things to talk about around that, and we 'll talk about them, but to me, ultimately, like the biggest question is what do you do about it um, like how do we how do we start to fix this and uh, I think part of fixing it is just making people conscious of it and having events like this, and um, you know particularly making the dudes conscious of it so you know, the more we talk about it, the more people are comfortable talking about it. The more, um, the more men are com- hopefully comfortable thinking about it. Yes. I'm not comfortable. <laughs> there's there's discomfort over there. There's a question here. Yeah. this audience what uh, what's the statistic in this audience we've got we have more ladies than men is hey Andrea (laughs) I'm going to put you on the spot is this is this audience representative of your gender uh, statistics at Lighthouse you know So I don't—I don't know if everybody could hear, but the the statistics at Lighthouse are roughly sixty-five to seventy-five percent women membership. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so I—I'd say we're actually—I don't know. This looks like it's maybe seventy-five percent women. There's the men are all sitting in the back for some reason. The men want to be able to escape. Um, but i mean that's a great point and i think you know why aren't men here well i mean part of it maybe that men just aren't as comfortable putting the writing out there and as there as a result they don't engage in the lighthouse as much maybe men don't write as much i don't know but you know in terms of our men they don't seek coming, help
5: as much right <laughs> community
4: yeah it's like asking for directions right <laughs> asking going to a workshop um But then, why are men specifically here? You know, I mean, this this issue affects women really directly in a way that men. I mean, I'm a beneficiary of this bias, Um, and you know, so I'm I'm just not as motivated to come out to an event like this. I think Um, so. That's you know, I think women need to get comfortable talking about it and bringing it up in um, in forums where there there are men and. Making sure that those men are aware of it. Um, so I, I have a lot of questions written down here. I don't have uh, a whole lot um, to just, just say about the issue, I guess. Um, and, but I know Jenny does. And, um, <laughs> and I, I, I hope that the audience will really will participate in this. I think this is a great topic for the audience to jump in on. All right. You want to go next? Why not? All right. So I wanted to start by reading a quote by a writer,
5: and I want you to just, if, you, if it isn't familiar to you, because it's famous, so you might be able to guess it, but I want you to guess what decade it was written in. It is obvious that the values of women differ very often from the values which have been made by the other sex. Naturally, this is so. Yet it is the masculine values that prevail. Speaking crudely, football and sport are important the worship of fashion, the buying of clothes, trivial. And these values are inevitably transferred from life to fiction. This is an important book, the critic assumes, because it deals with war. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to be pugnacious. (laughs) This is an insignificant book because it deals with the feelings of women in a drawing room. A scene in a battlefield is more important than a scene in a shop. Everywhere and much more subtly, the difference of value persists. So does anyone, can you guess, when was that written? Was that written yesterday? I don't know. It was written in 1929 by Virginia Woolf in a room of of one's own. So it's the same deal, right, today as it was then. And when Nick invited me to do this panel, I thought, well, what should I talk about? Maybe Jonathan Franzen will have a gender-related gaffe before then that I can discuss. (laughs) Lo and behold, last week, uh, he did. Because he's the kind of guy that wakes up at dawn and cracks his knuckles and thinks, I'm going to write a great American novel, and then I'm going to say something that will offend millions of women. How shall I do it today? I know I'll write a letter to the New York Times. So there was an op-ed just on June 11th by Frank Bruni called Sexism's Puzzling Stamina. Did anyone read that? And he discussed sexism, how it persists in a number of fields. And he also mentioned Vita, who is the organization that compiled these stats and said that there is a persistence of sexism in literature. So Jonathan Franzen cracks his knuckles and gets to his computer and, and writes, There may still be gender imbalances in the world of books, but very strong numbers of women are writing, editing, publishing, and reviewing novels. Very strong numbers. Look like this, I guess. <laughs> the the most the world most glaringly dominated by male sexism is one that Mr. Bruni neglects to mention: New York City theater. You gotta you gotta love friends because he think he's like he thinks he's doing a favor to the theater people by bringing up their battle, but he can't do that without discounting the other battle, <laughs> without discounting the statistics, and. Um, Judging from Franzen's assurance that there's no real problem in literature with the way women are getting published and perceived, I guess he didn't, he didn't see when um, he lost the National Books Critics Circle Award to Jennifer Egan. The Los Angeles Times the next day published a picture of Franzen with the headline, Jonathan Franzen loses the National Books Critics Award. They didn't say Jennifer Egan wins and here's Jennifer Egan. So he didn't notice that, I guess. He doesn't get it. Um... The news was that that Franzen lost, not that Egan won. And I mention all this not to pick on Franzen, because he's really fun to pick on. (laughs) But um, to point out that even though it's been proved, and they've been doing this VITA study for years, and the results are the same, it's been proved that men pretty much outnumber women in every measure three to one in terms of books that are published books that are reviewed, bylines in major publications, it's been shown. There are still people who deny it. And I think it's become like the global warming <laughs> phenomenon. <laughs> Look, here's the statistics, but there's still deniers. <laughs> um, but I think, I think that this is a real problem and it's time to stop debating about whether it exists or not and move on to the solutions. And I think there are solutions. Um, each one of us in this room is a person who cares about books. And in that capacity, you have some power to influence this change. I mean, publishers will listen if you're buying more books by women. Maybe some of you are in a book club. Could you perhaps ensure that your book club at least reads half of their books by women, if not more, to correct for that? I personally, I'm a book reviewer. I've been writing book reviews for 12 years. I started at the Rocky Mountain News, and then I had a website called New West. Then now I do for the Dallas Morning News and High Country News. I personally audit myself to make sure that I am doing no more than 50-50 for each. Um, Sometimes I try to err on the side of women to correct for other reviewers' mistakes. Um, But this is hard. This is hard work because... I have to pitch book reviews like three or four months before the books come out. And there's just a lot more publicity about the impending novel of the dude than there is (laughs) of some small press woman's novel. So I have to like beat the bushes, be on all these obscure Internet sites to figure out what women are going to be publishing something next season. Um, Also, I've noticed particularly I specialize in the literature of the American West. That's what I studied for six years at New West. And this problem is particularly acute with American West novels set in this region and published in this region. I would say it's like 10 to 1. I really had to work hard to find books by women published and set in this region. And it's just because, I don't know, horses and dude stuff. (laughs) And it's not, it's just, it's more men. Um, I've also learned that this, by participating in writing groups with really fabulous women writers... And I can't tell you how many times I said to them, if you were a man, this would have been published by now. But you have to work harder. And I know, because I'm reading all these published books. I know that it's good enough. But you have to work harder as a woman, because you're going to get rejected three to one. And I just, I have a prop. <laughs> Here, I wanted to share with you some of my rejections. It's not all of them. sampling. This is what you have to do. <laughs> <laughs> to get your book published and it's made up of little tiny slips like this and this is not all my rejections and so many times my women friends i tell them you keep going and you keep revising and you keep submitting i want you to submit you're going to have to submit three times as many times as a man is to get his book published that's proved do it don't give up and i know you have kids and you're doing everything backwards and in high heels right with kids and all that but just do it. And so many times my, my friends, they, they're writing these great books and they just don't finish them because they get, they get told this is garbage. If I had stopped when I was told my book was garbage, it would not have been published. And so I just have this attitude like these rejections are a sign of my progress and I'm proud of them. And I had this ongoing exchange with the editor of The Sun where they've had a couple of my stories for a couple of years and they're like, okay, revise it. So I revise it and then they give me more comments. I, I do that like two or three times with each story and each time it ends up a rejection. And then, but now they're starting to feel sheepish because I'm really like, whenever you tell me to revise, I do it, I get back to you. He's like, I'm really sorry, I don't have a better outcome. And he sent me this email and I said, you're not rid of me yet. <laughs> and I want all of you to do that. I said, you're not rid of my, me yet. I'm sending you a new story tomorrow. And so many, so many people do not do that. Um, it's been, there's an interview with the editor of Tin House that Vita did that showed that women are much less likely to keep submitting after they've been encouraged to do so. And when, even when they're solicited to submit, they sometimes don't respond. So your job is always to submit when you're invited to. Keep submitting when you're rejected. Keep doing it. Don't internalize the rejections. You have to keep going. Can I
6: ask you, like, would you ever tally how many of the rejections that you got were, were from
5: men and how many were from women? Oh, I don't, I don't feel like the name? phenomenon, I don't feel like I'm being oppressed by a man. <laughs> I feel like I'm being oppressed by the man, the system. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't do that. I don't tally the gender. Um and Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of women in publishing and editing. The women are contributing to this. And if you're a woman that does not help other women, get out of the tent. Because I don't want to talk to you. You need to be buying books by women. You need to be talking them up on Facebook and Goodreads and Twitter. You need to be doing some literary citizenship to help your women friends so that when your book comes out, someone will care.
3: Right. Um, my I'm not totally sure what to add to that except for I agree with what you said Vicky about um, women are often the ones tearing down other women and that can get really frustrating I re- I saw a review today of um, Rachel Kushner's new novel The Flamethrowers in the New York Times and it was, it was reviewed by a woman and the language in it is um, just s- very subtly sexist and um, that was very dismaying and then there was a a woman that I sort of knew peripherally who had written a book and it was reviewed in the Times by Janet Maslin, who um, looked up her uh, rating on good, on what is that called? Rate My Professor. And she discussed in the book review that um, this author's students didn't seem to think she was hot and that she hadn't been a very popular teacher, so maybe she wasn't a very likable person. So there's Janet Maslin tearing an author down who she said it was a good book, but she also speculated on, wh- on whether the author was attractive or likable and I don't think those are questions that we ask about male authors. We just review their book and we um, I feel like as readers um, and writers and and myself, I find this in myself often and I think that's half the battle is for all of us who live in this culture who are steeped in it to try to look more closely at your own presumptions because I find it in myself um, and one of those things is that I tend to defer to a male writer in some way. Like if there's the sloppy writing by a woman and the sloppy writing by a man. I assume the man's doing it on purpose for some for some reason, and the woman's just being sloppy. Like it's very really? subtle, but sometimes, I, not always. I mean, I'm <laughs> speaking in generalities, but I certainly notice sometimes that I'm making assumptions that um, that I'm not proud of. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was the thing I was going to add. Um, I actually wrote a bunch of stuff down, but I'm not going to read from it just so there will be more opportunity to attack me. <laughs> so, <you> guys, <laughs> sharpen your knives. Um, so one of the things I, I thought I would talk about that's maybe a little bit incidental to the rest of this is the way that um, the way that this publishing bias affects women writing at our desks because I think that it does affect us. And um, I tend—I found recently I had a baby, and uh, I I thought that would be something I would like to write about. You know, it's it's an enormous experience, totally life changing. But there was this moment where I felt hesitation, where I was like. I don't want to write about that. That's a woman topic. And so I do think that there's a way in which um, topics get separated into what you should be writing about, what might be rewarded, what might be a masculine thing to write about. And then I think women might discount their own experiences as something that would be sentimental or too um, interior or too personal. And so we don't write about those things. And maybe it happens on such a minor, subtle level that we don't even notice ourselves doing it. So I started wondering if there's like this a vast area of of women's experience is not being written about by literary women because so often the books that are rewarded are women writing about sort of masculine subjects and you know i don't even know what that means exactly but um, women aren't rewarded for writing about their own experience and when we do write well We're often told that our prose is muscular or masculine, and that robs us of doing something good. It's not masculine. It's fucking feminine because I'm a woman, and I wrote it. And it's not an imitation of a man that I did really expertly. It's when I wrote something good. So even when we do well, we're often robbed of it, and that's really frustrating. But... um, Instead of being frustrated by that, when I was first told that I was writing muscular prose, I was really proud. I was like, that's awesome. I'm separating myself from the pack here. I'm, I'm writing, like, these dudes that are going to be successful. And then in the meantime, I was being often torn apart by female writers who were, <laughs> they were unnecessarily snarky a lot of the time. And I don't think it did them any favors. So um, I think women need to be good to each other. And I think um, we have to be really vigilant about our own... Expectations and maybe the parameters that we build around ourselves based on gender.
7: Okay. Um, so thinking about what I can add to this conversation that, that hasn't already been said, um, I've worked in uh, literary magazines for about 10 years now. And when Vita's Numbers First came out, however many years ago that was, my first response was, who cares? My first response was that um, overwhelmingly women buy books. Overwhelmingly, the readers are women. And my first thought was, I don't see the big deal about this. And then the more I thought about it, the more I considered what my job was as a magazine editor, what my job was as a publisher, um... I started thinking about how silly that initial response was, but I didn't lose sight of the fact that that was my initial response. The problem that we have here that we're, we're talking about is with book reviewers. Now, I don't doubt that the people in this room... Is this even working? Okay, good. I don't have the echo in my head. Um, everyone in here... I believe is probably reading fiction written by women. I think that most of the people in this room don't feel that the, the, the typical ideas of what's masculine or feminine in terms of um, plot and character are restricted to one gender or another. The problem is not in this room. The problem is book reviewers because this is not an issue about um, straight publishing. This is a matter of respect. And that, that's really what this comes down to, that the work by women's not respected particularly by the people that are the the, gate, the guardians of the gates. you know. We Thinking about this panel and what things we might want to say, um, as Jenny pointed out, there's something every single week. Um, did any of you happen to have the misfortune of seeing the Vice magazine piece that came yes. out this week? Yeah. For those of you that haven't seen it, for some fucking reason, the, the editors of Vice magazine thought that along with doing a literary issue devoted to women, it'd be really cool to have their models Pose as um, female authors that have committed suicide. And in these suicidal poses, it's about as grotesque as you can imagine. Their apology wasn't really an apology either. They're just like, oh, you don't get fashion. Um, how, yeah, how awful, right? Um, so what we need to do as a, a group is not simply to say we need to, to write the kind of work that we want to write and read the kind of writers we want to read. Um, I think, without question, the best books published this year have been by women. Claire Massoud, Roxana Robinson, Rachel Kushner. Um, and I think that this community is very aware of this problem. The problem is the reviewers. I mean, if you think about it, think about movie reviews, right? You can read a review and find out, wow, Transformers, Dark Side of the Moon is a shitty movie because the reviewer said so. Not that you really need the reviewer to tell you that. <laughs> but the reviewers aren't slaves to the people making the films, And there's a feeling that with book reviews by the major ones, you know, you think about a guy like um, James Wood, um, a lot of the other white male critics that are in Harper's Magazine, um, they're not doing their job. So what we need to do isn't just um, buy books by women or support presses that publish women like Engine Books, which is based out of Indianapolis, or read magazines like Women's Arts Quarterly. Um, we need to be reviewing books by women, the kind of action that Jenny's talking about. And it doesn't really matter at this point if you have a large venue or not. If you have an internet connection, you have a venue, and you can build that venue to to bring attention to the books written by women about subjects that are compelling to a wide-ranging audience and say, this book demands to be read. And that's what we need to do. That's probably the most important thing we can do when it comes to spreading the good word about what what we need from our, our American women writers from the magazine side um i have had conversations with my editors both at the missouri review which is where i am now and at river sticks which is where i was before if an issue is too gender heavy you know we'll look at the issue and we'll say there's a lot of dudes or we'll look at the issue and say, there's a lot of women and try to get kind of a 50 50 balance and as the tin house piece that editor rob spillman pointed out um that's not good enough to simply say, okay, we need to have a 50-50 distribution of our magazine. Um, the concern is that when we tell women writers no, they're not getting the, the encouragement or feeling that they are welcome to send work to us again. I, I think the number is something like four to one men respond faster than women when it comes to literary work. Um, and I'm not entirely sure how to change that mindset other than when we as editors reject work to tell women hey, you need to send more to us. We need to have a dialogue with our women writers saying your work is welcome here. Now, I think too often our, our women readers, our, our women writers don't feel that way. And that's something that we need to actively do as an editorial community to encourage those kind of submissions, that kind of work. Um, taking a look at what the Missouri Review has published over the last four years, I started in in January 2010, um, our ratio was, I think, 58% men, 42% women. So I was thinking about that. Okay, well, am am I doing my job then? And as the the managing editor of the magazine, what, what my role is, is mostly administrative, but when I am reading manuscripts that are under submission and that are under consideration for the magazine, they're pretty high up the food chain. It's work that we're really strongly considering. And I wanted to know, well, how many times did I write back and encourage the writer to send work to us again, and that writer was a woman? And this was very weird, so clearly my math wasn't quite right. 58% of the time it was to a woman. 42% of the time it was to a man. There's definitely some, some error there. But I've done okay. I'm still not doing enough. And I think that's something as an editor, I need to accept responsibility for. That I'm not doing enough to encourage American women writers to send us their work. What's your ratio of
2: submissions?
7: Um, it's actually pretty close to fifty-fifty, believe it or not. Um, it's not a it's not a number that's really out of control. I'm sure there's some variance there, probably like three percent. You know, kind of a typical um, error there. Um, but yeah, nothing really outlandish, which is kind of odd. Um, One more point before I kick it back to the the whole panel. Um, A writer for Esquire, Mike Seeger, um, uh, I guess if you're a journalism person fairly well-known, came to the University of Missouri in the fall. And he had just, um, he was publishing and promoting a new book. It was called New Wave. It was the the next wave of American journalists, something like that. And the book was packaged as uh, journalists under the age of 40. And in that book, there was 11 pieces, nine of which were by men. And a master student in journalism at the university raised her hand and said, you know, I I can't help noticing that you've got two pieces by women in here, one of which is a profile of Britney Spears. The other, seriously, uh, the other one has to do with um, raising children at home, homeschooling, something like that. Um, uh, Could you just talk about why that's the case? And Mike Seeger got pissed. Do you see the work that women are writing out there he said he said it's not good work I can't publish the shit that you see in Cosmo and Glamour that's not that's not good journalism I'm not looking for that kind of work when I'm talking about the next wave of American journalists It was a really pugnacious offensive thing that he said and he you know there's a couple things there you know one that he's he's lazy he's clearly not looking hard enough at what kind of work women journalists are doing The second thing um was that the book was marketed as being under the age of 40. And so it didn't recognize what kind of role that women take in our society still, where they're, they're really fighting to get recognized for their work as a journalist well into their 50s before they're finally getting the kind of attention they deserve. By publishing a book that focuses on youth, he's excluding what good women journalists are doing right now. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that he's doing. And this is a guy that writes for one of the major magazines in this country. Um, He naturally got reamed by the journalist professor that invited him to campus. Um, This is a story that's obviously making its way around. Um, But simply saying, okay, yes, we're starting to be aware of it as the people under this tent is simply not enough. We need to take a more proactive um, mission towards making sure that we're getting this kind of work out there, published, read, and most importantly, respected.
6: Mm. But as
3: writers, we're not editors, mo- most likely. How how do we influence that? How do we? I'd like to know how to punish someone like
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> Where he lives, but um, beyond that, what can we do as writers to
6: help that cause?
5: I have an idea for a good punishment. There was a. Um, <laughs> there you can unsubscribe to those publications that do not care and make it clear with the letter that you wrote. There was a woman, a journalist named Lorraine Berry, who wrote open letter to Harper's from a loyal reader. Now Harper's has performed abysmally three years in a row in Vita, and when they're interviewed by Vita, they say, eh. So what? Uh, so she said, I love Harper's, but I'm going to write this open letter and tell them exactly why I'm canceling my subscription. And she published that letter in Flavorwire, Wire, and it was, like, passionate. Like, she loved Harper's. She loved it. <laughs> and she was canceling her subscription. And you can subscribe to the ones that we know are making an effort. Like, sounds like Missouri Review is making effort. We know that Tin House, Granta are making an effort. Um, I know that Harvard Review is making an effort because, like, last year when this Vita thing came out, I got this email from the editor of the Harvard Review and she said can you send me some work and I, was, I wanted to say how the heck do you know I exist <laughs> but I don't, I don't know but then I went to the Harvard Review website and they had um, written an article about how they are actively trying to correct this and they're going to go seek out and Google writers to invite to submit and it, they didn't ultimately accept what I sent that time but I'm still invited to send every new story that I have to her and I've been noticing more things like that. I just got an email from McSweeney's Quarterly um, a couple of weeks ago, and I had published a few things on the website of McSweeney's, and the quarterly editor um, wanted to see if I had a funny letter I could submit for the next um, print edition. And he sent me some examples of funny letters they had published in the past, and the ratio there was like 10 to 1 letters written by men versus women. So, I, But give him some credit. He's trying. So I can tell that some people are trying. So make it known that y- this matters to you and subscribe and support the ones that are doing a good job. Yeah, I want to I say that I think it starts uh, even today,
8: a bit before people start submitting to magazines. And also, um, it starts before you get to, perhaps to the top of the editorial pile, right? Um, Do you want to like... Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I got in trouble the other night for... Um, uh, challenging a male poet on a panel because when he talked about all the books he um, had loved and taught, he didn't mention one woman writer, and he got very indignant. You don't know who I am. I, I, I love women writers. I, but he looked around the room and saw women, and didn't as uh, see fit to mention a woman writer. And, and I think um, you know when I taught in an MFA program, there was a very fine male writer who. You know, seemed to love and be respected by his women students, but before he came up for a review, a couple of us got on him because he wasn't teaching any women writers. And this is supposed to be something that was over with 50 years ago, right? That you know, may, you know, every that the canon is not all male. And um, he was very, you know, re- the guy who was my professor was very, uh, where I taught was very receptive to this sort of. Um, information, but the, you know, the, his male faculty fellows were horribly offended for him. How could you even mention this? You know, and then I'm wondering. We all know when we submit to literary magazines, for example, or any magazines, that it's not the head editor who's reading the work first. Unless you're a famous writer, which brings me back to something else. If you're constantly promoting male writers who become famous writers and magazines want to publish famous writers because it helps them, you know, um, sell books and magazines, well, then you have a kind of self-perpetuating problem, right? Um, You know, if Jonathan Franzen submits something and you submit something, even though you're obviously a fine writer, you think they're going to pick you instead of him? You know, maybe it would yeah, have to be would. a very—you might—but
5: Harper's would not. And I then, noticed <laughs> that, um, and then, I noticed that Hobart, um, a really good up-and-coming literary yeah. magazine, their next submission period—they want no names. On the pieces. Very good idea. No names, no cover letter.
8: That would be very interesting. But, I mean, it's also like when, you know, you you have, like, interns reading for the Missouri Review. How many of them are women? How many of them are men? Are you giving them instructions? We're looking for women writers. Um, be, or, you know, I mean, I think it, it's, like, often way down the – it's down the food chain that the problems start. It's not at the highest levels and not just on magazines. It's um, still in the canon that we're reading more men than women. Do
4: you want to address how the Missouri Review handles that? Thanks. I'm afraid you're going to be on the spot a lot here. You know, whatever.
7: Um, Well, first things first, um, with literary magazines, um, I wouldn't say that we're... Immune to that problem Because we aren't um, But we don't get work From Jonathan Franzom Or Jonathan Lethem Or Paul Auster Or Elizabeth Strout Or Roxanne Robinson um, The nature of publishing Is simply changed Big names don't send us work um, the, the lifeblood Of a literary magazine Is the unpublished writer um, and at this point, the way publishing has shifted, um, the, the difficulty of publishing short work, um, those, that all goes to the New Yorker, Harper's, GQ, et cetera, If they're major names, otherwise everybody's sending to us, and we're really publishing more on merit. Um, it do, we're just not going we don't have that problem anymore. Um, Second, as regards to um, who's reading, um, yes, um, the Missouri Review has a very large um, submission pool. Um, We also have an internship. It's a um, four-credit internship at the University of Missouri, and we have anywhere from 12 to 15 students in that internship every semester. Of that, and this is just ballpark, um, 80% of the students are women. Um, Overwhelmingly, um, English majors are women. Um, so we primarily are um, looking at uh, young women who are coming into our class who want to be in publishing and who want to be writers. Um, we do, you know, we do have guidelines about, you know, here's how we review work and here's what you're looking for and so on and so forth. But I think more directly to your question, um, yeah, our initial readers are typically um, young women. I
4: have, I have sort of a follow-up on that topic as well is... One one thing I wonder about is, I, I think that th- this issue is, you know, these, these pie charts. Like, it's a disgrace. Um, but there are other disgraces out there. Like, I, I think that, you know, the lack of American reading of works in translation is a disgrace. And um, I haven't seen similar pie charts for, you know, works by... Um, authors who are not white but i'm i'm sure that that is also a disgrace um and so i'm curious you know as as an editor like how do you balance all those competing issues and is is all that in your like at some point i i I would just freeze up i think uh
7: yeah tough question um yeah we haven't mentioned at all, and I know it's not the point of the panel, um, race or LBGT, am I getting the letters in the right order? We haven't haven't talked about that at all, um, which is a group that is um, even more marginalized, um, not just in publishing, but still in society on the whole. Um, How do we address that? Um, You know, frankly, I'm not sure that we do. Um, We really hang our hat on, okay, what's the best work? And we don't really pay a tremendous amount of attention to who it comes from. However, we do get it right on our table of contents. Um, We're we're a magazine that publishes photographs of all of our writers. And it's pretty clear that when it comes to um, our magazine and its content, um, more men than women, Um, when we're racially diverse, it's almost always um, writers of uh, Asian heritage. Um, we We do not have a particularly strong track record of publishing black men and women. Um, To the best of my knowledge, we don't receive much by those groups. Um, It's another thing that we need to address. It's another thing that we need to acknowledge. Um, And it's something that we haven't done a very good job of doing. Um, Along with that, I couldn't even tell you a magazine that's doing a particularly good job of addressing race. Um, You know, there are magazines like African American Review and Callaloo that focus primarily on that culture... But would I say that there are literary magazines that really aim to make sure that they've got the right balance? of whatever it might be. Um, no, I don't, th- I don't think that the literary culture is doing a good job of that. Um, Roxanne
5: Gay. Does anyone know Roxanne Gay? She's this really awesome up and coming literary writer, feminist, cultural thinker. She did a study on race. It's very hard to do because you have to kind of, she got right. interns to look at pictures of people and figured out she was trying to dis- to study, um, how people were reviewed and re- were the reviewers in New York times book review. And yes, it was abysmal. But the way you answer that is the way you answer the other thing with some literary citizenship, um, Um, Carlene Bryce, who teaches here, has a website called White Readers Meet Black Authors. Tell us about them. I, as a book reviewer, (laughs) I have a point system. Are you you a minority? Are you a woman? Are you publishing with a small press? Are you in this region? At the bottom of my totem pole is a white guy from the East Coast publishing with a major press. (laughs) I'm on my one-woman crusade to do that. (laughs) Literary citizenship is the answer. at the end of the 90s and the beginning of the 2000s, I had a lot of business in Asia. And we started trying to work in Korea. And I was well aware of the gender bias of of Korean men toward women. So when I got an inquiry from a gentleman in Korea, I deliberately answered the, the, the inquiry using my initials. I wrote LK Mahoney and left it completely. He had no idea that
3: I was a female. And when I got off the plane, you know, he was shocked. But before then, by then, we had a lot of a strong relationship, so that was okay by then. What
4: would happen if we queried with our initials? Do you want to talk? Because I know sure. you've done that, Amanda.
3: Um, I have sent out a couple of pieces using my initials. Well, they're not even my initials. They're just some initials. <laughs> and... uh I did, I, I thought of doing that initially because, initially, <laughs> um, I promise I won't make any more jokes like that, because uh, I I applied to a fellowship, the one in Wisconsin that I couldn't remember the name of, the the Creative Writing Institute of Wisconsin, and uh, th- it was a blind submission thing, and they select, they have this very sort of mathematical system where they, apl- they give each submission a score, and then it's... There's actually, like, a computer program. <laughs> it's very complicated, but in the end, everyone has a score, and then, they're like, the, la- the last 20 are debated about for, like, four days. And anyway, I was in, I was one of the finalists, and then I got the fellowship, but when they pulled my chart to call me to tell me that I was coming, they, they had assumed all throughout that I was a man, and they had discussed my work as this guy, this guy, this guy, and so then they were like, oh, it, it must be a mistake. They were so sure that the piece had been written by a man. <laughs> and... Um, and they told me this, and it was they thought it was funny because there was a, a man who they were accepting who they were convinced was a woman. <laughs> and so I was like... He looked very dismayed by that, which was, again, part of the problem, but... Um, I th- then later when I went to submit that piece for publication I was like well if people want to think this is written by a man why should I disabuse them of that like I'll just put initials and then if if the name Amanda which is usually like the mean cheerleader in every movie if, if that doesn't really match a story about a ranching ex-con then maybe I'll just remove that distraction so partially it was just about trying to not have my name distract from the story allowing the reader to settle into it and um but yeah, certainly, um I, so I don't know. I never submitted it under my name and got like a million rejections, and then submitted it under initials, and then it got taken. So I can't say if if having initials um had any impact in terms of the story being published. I will say that I enjoyed writing with initials because it gave me a sort of a sense of freedom about writing, which doesn't I don't think have anything to do with gender. it just is that I feel sort of less like myself, and so occasionally I submit using initials. But yeah, I think if everyone submitted with initials, the problem might be completely removed.
8: Unless you're writing nonfiction about having a baby.
3: <laughs> there you go, right? <laughs> I think there's like, questions in the back there. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I've yeah, got a,
9: uh, another, uh, another bias that's showing up here is that uh, you don't have any genre people.
2: really. <laughs> <laughs>
9: and that uh, the two biggest money makers in the, in the publishing industry are uh, erotica and women's uh, fiction, or romance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they keep the publishing houses afloat. And you don't have anybody there talking about that. And somehow that is excluded from your conversation about, uh, about women. There's nothing on this graph here that shows any of those publishing houses and what they what they, they publish. And somehow you don't have a woman up there who writes that shows to me that there's a bias in it.
5: Mario, we, will you do that study <laughs> for us?
9: writer's organization started mainly had women in, uh, writers and readers in it who looked at the, the whole spectrum of, of uh, who's buying and who's reading or who's reading and who's writing uh, books in the United States and uh, it, was, it was it was interesting it was, it was one of the interesting things is that for example they show that going to college male and female kind of mimics the ratio of women uh, male and female here at Lighthouse. The I mean, and then you can extrapolate from that. And, but uh, the majority of fiction writer, or fiction readers are women. Uh, not fiction, it's pretty much 50 uh, 50. Uh, the numbers of uh, women writing uh, mystery novels now is 50 50. Um, you know, big thrillers. And uh, there is also some bias in genre, too. Like uh, women are not seen as being able to write science fiction for some reason. but they can write fantasy. So that, that also shows up. But my, my point is, is that the two biggest money makers you have in the publishing industry
5: right now are not represented on panel. And they're both uh, pretty much overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly women writers. I don't think this was totally addressed, but Jennifer Winner has talked about this a little bit because she's put into the chick lit category and she's really been into this fray. Um, the ones that are reviewed by the New York Times and respected um, are not genre books. And like she said and like you're saying women are more represented in genre books and I think in YA and children's books and every other every other thing beside literary fiction there's more women writers and but the ones that are reviewed are literary fiction So
9: we need more time? yeah <laughs>
10: beginning of the 20th century, the feminine lyric poet became the antagonist of a new school of male modernists. In their eyes, poetry had become a mawkish, womanly affair, full of gush and fine feelings. Language had gone soft and lost its virility. It needed to be stiffened up again, (laughs) made hard and (laughs) stone-like.
6: women are writing Cinderella. Oh, oh um,
5: so. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> 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 and
6: then more recently
5: Somebody needs to send Zadie Smith over his house and beat him up but I think most guys are like not like that they're like Dick, they're like my yeah. <laughs> right, do you th-
4: I think there's there's a historical issue that just that's gonna take time to overcome in the sense that. You know, just culturally, men have dominated, you know, everything for however long, and um, and so the the standards that have been established in terms of what is good writing, what you know, what kind of topics do good does good writing take on, what kind of prose is good prose, um, have all been like those standards have all been set and in this at this point internalized by everybody, and those the, those those standards were set by men and. You know, it just so happens that men, you know, again, I think this is a cultural artifact more than than testosterone, but men are, you know, taught that, you know, they need to be tough and they need to keep things internalized and they need to, um, you know, not be emotional. And it just so happens that, you know, I I, I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of the prose that's been admired over the last century and more is prose that reflects those same qualities um and so um I think that you know I, th- I think that again we we just i, I don 't know how to how to fix that all at once you know i think i think that's that's a cultural thing that that it's going to take some time to figure out, and it's going to take um it's going to take uh, people writing you know. Letters of the editor, and it's going to take people posting on their blogs about how mad they are about this and um, and offending people by, by saying these things and and just um, moving the moving the window over time. There was a question over in that corner. I had no, My only question
11: was the, it was a comment, and that um, I'm Amanda's husband, full disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so scared oh. right now. <laughs> Diaz, right? And to me, Juno Diaz is like a total chick writer. Like, uh, if his name was, you know, if he had a if he had a woman's name, I'd be like, this is girl writing. <laughs> However, like my, my point is this: is that like, why does Juno Diaz, when he writes about hooking up and like about like, you know, stories of adolescence and stories of youth, why does it begin to be about ideas? And then if a woman writes about the same subject, why does it, why does it called chick lit? And so, like, one of the things that, you know, like, I notice as we talk about this a lot is, like, we, you know, we read the Wall Street Journal, you know, I I subscribe. But, like, (laughs) the words that we use and, like, the words that we notice about women. And so we read a review about a book and, like, a woman trounced out of the room. Prounced, flounced. Right? She
3: flounced. flounced. It was a. She was a. A panelist. I'm sorry. She was a panelist for the Nobel Prize, and um, it it said that one of the female panelists had flounced out of the room, and it's just sort of casually, um, you know, thrown into an article about something else. And obviously, if it had been a, a male panelist for the Nobel Prize, he would not have flounced out. He would have stormed or.
11: Like he gets to wear a power student <laughs> you know, like. One of the things that we notice in and certainly as we consume media it's like when it's written by a man it gets to be about ideas and when it gets to be when it's written by women it's it girl stuff and so that's one of the things like you know as we like, as a consumer of media i certainly noticed the bias and so one of the things that intrigued me was when amanda was at wisconsin was taking the names off mm. and so i would be curious in missouri review if you did did an episode, uh, you know, an, <laughs> an, an issue, sorry, not an <laughs> <laughs> did an issue with no names, and just to see what the result was, and to see, like, how many uh, people of color, how many, how many women, and how many men, how many, drink, you know, how many of the different, uh, how many of the different people are represented, and then what, what does the, what is, what is the writing, what, how is it perceived? Is it about, when a woman writes it, is it about ideas, or is it chick or you know, vice versa. Like I think it's an interesting thing to you know, to expose because at the fundamental core, it's like, is it about you know, like, is it good writing? Like I think that's like. <laughs> but at the same time, do you, when you see a name, do you assign a
3: bias? Didn't you just say a magazine was doing an, a nameless issue or? Yeah, Hobart.
5: Hobart is doing that. It's edited by Roxanne Gay. She's like mover and shaker in this arena, and they say no names. Don't put your name on it, or we'll get rid of it. No cover letter either. Well, the people that are aware of it are doing it. Shouldn't they
12: all do that? <laughs> I mean, really, shouldn't they all
5: do that? I don't know. I mean, some some of them, the bigger magazines have to. They some of it's driven by what names will drive people to buy their magazine, and since more men are published by major publishers and reviewed and have the more prestige factor, they just it's perpetuated a little bit. But I mean, uh, there's lots of women of power <laughs> these days. And I've read tons of great books by by women this year and so I, I think it can change.
7: Um as a as a one time thing, that might be a really fascinating thing to do. Um I like the idea actually a lot a lot more than I thought I would when you initially started talking. I was like, you know, that would actually be kind of cool. Um but the the short answer is um beyond a gimmick, no. Um I mean, if you're asking, can we always read blind? Not, there's really no such thing as a blind submission to a magazine. I mean, there just... There isn't. We need to have contact information to know who you are. So, um, I, I, under, I understand your situation using the initials. Um, though, we still need to be in touch with that person to do a copy of it on the piece to publish it. We would have to know, at some point, who this person is. Um, could we publish um, more than one issue with no names? Um, Probably not. Um, part of that is recognizing, oh, we've got a new story by Amanda Ray in our issue. Um, while we may not be in the big publishing circles like the New York scene, um, the literary magazine um, readers still is a close-knit group. I mean, look around. Um to to publish a magazine without any kind of names whatsoever, um, I think would be a problem because part of the appeal why you pick up our magazine over someone else's is because of the names on it, for better or worse. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's p- I mean, right? right. Okay. And then at that point, they picked all men, and then the next time
8: around, they might be 100% women.
2: Maybe.
8: But, I mean, you know, I, from, I want my gender to be part of my submission, to be part of what I write, to be... And if I get published less, well, then it just has to be the way it is until the revolution changes things. But, I mean, I don't want to suddenly be not a gender, you know? And my work is all about being a woman. It always has been. I mean, not... I mean, I'm not writing about having babies, but because I never had any. But you know, it's more like it, it's there in everything you write and everything you say, and um, and um, I think it's, you should be it should be a point of pride that you're writing as a woman, and, and, and all the great women writers did. Virginia Woolf going in. I mean, nobody tried to be a man,
5: you know, H. except D. George Eliot and <laughs> H. D. Right? H. Oh, yeah. H. D. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like you submitting without your
8: name would take away from the fact that you are a woman I would rather writer. that the magazines say we want to publish 50%
5: women. And Vita has pointed out that some magazines have tried to correct their stats by doing a special issue on lady, lady stuff. <laughs> 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 and they point out that, that like, by ladies... Lady stuff. And they said, that doesn't really help. (laughs) It brought up their average for that one year, but it doesn't really change the picture.
3: And I want to, can I just clarify that I have never used initials in order to. Um, hide or be ashamed of my gender. That was certainly that never occurred to me. And um, I I differ with Vicky in that I I do not consider gender to be a big part of my writing. In fact, I think that the wonder and the allure of writing is that you can transcend yourself. And so I don't when I write think about like I am a woman writing this and I'm writing women's things. It, in the writing process, has never occurred to me. So it wasn't a big issue. And I understand that may differ from for other people, but um, yeah, for me it it was. I sort of scratched my head, in fact, when I, when I realized that I was on this panel for being a woman hating initial user. <laughs> she had a question. And, there. and I
4: think that raises the point. I mean, you, you as a submitter have the option of removing gender from it by using initials. Uh, doing it, experiments. Yeah, I mean, um, you, you can take some control of that part of it, even if the, the editors aren't doing it the way you'd like them to.
5: She had a question there in the third row. <laughs>
12: Kate Zabrino's heroines. It is it's about a, a lot of things, but it's a lot about women writers and women writing. And two of the most dismissive reviews of the book were by women. One was that, oh, but Zabruno is dependent on her husband, and she she should open a newspaper rather than complain. The second reviewer said um, say cherry-picked. Certain sections about fashion to try and make the point that this is a frivolous book, and and just to to be fair, those those sections on fashion were in there, but they, they were in there to kind of illustrate the ambivalence towards you know feminine things. So I I I guess my I don't know whether I have a question here, but I guess the question the question here is you know. By what standards a
5: woman judged, and by what standards a woman possibly dismissed? I, um, as a reviewer, I have to feel free to pan a book by <laughs> anyone. I don't do much panning because I get to pitch and I get to seek and I get to study what I'm going to review in advance. And I, I'd rather help someone than tear them down. But. Um, yeah, I write. If I have to, if I'm assigned something, I end, I tend to write negative reviews both for men and women. Um, this one book that I I liked sort of, but um, I praised the scene where the this woman who was breastfeeding her the milk shot across the the room. I was like, that's a good scene. But um, no, you have to try not to talk about the person's appearance or try, not really study what the person is about outside of the book that you have. I don't think that that's fair. Um, you just have to have your own rules as a as a reviewer. It's not, and you don't. You hardly get paid anything, so it's hard to like police it. It's not like a prestige job. I don't know.
4: I guess I also think. I mean, I, I think fashion tends to be because fashion is associated with women. I think it does tend to be dismissed as a topic in a way that, say, sports, which I think is equally is is frivolous to the same extent that fashion is frivolous um doesn't get dismissed as a topic um but i can al- you know i can imagine a frivolous book about bullfighting in the same way i can imagine a frivolous book about fashion can okay, can i can I, just, and, can I just kind of say yeah So, so, you're saying the, the, the reviewer was picking this little yes, th- yeah. thing to dismiss the whole this right. thing. Right. I, like, one thing that this isn't, this is a sort of step in a different direction from that. One of the things that, that as I was thinking about this topic, that seemed like it's just a, a shame about it is, you know, I guess, I mean, I, to me, I, I feel like we We like to try and think of of literature as 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 a meritocracy as 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 a field where the best stuff eventually you know rises to the top and even if it's Herman Melville who you know died and was gone for years before anyone realized it you know eventually people realize what the good writing is and it it um comes to the top and when you see this this kind of bias working within the field it works against that idea of of a meritocracy, um, and then it also it feels to me like that bias, like the shame of the bias. It, one of the shames of the bias is it just poisons everything. It you know you um, an editor a reviewer you know comments on the the episodes relating to fashion in a book, and maybe that's a valid criticism, or maybe it's just because the author's a woman and like. I don't know. Like, it's hard for me to, to parse that out. There, there um, You know, as, as I was reading about the topic, there was a lot of um, a lot of women raising the issue that you know their book covers are getting changed to these these soft, you know, pale pink or blue book covers with someone's shoe on it or something. <laughs> and. Um, you know maybe that's bias or maybe that's smart marketing you know um my my book articles of war got a woman's face put on the the paperback it, there was there was a cover that i'd been told was going to be the cover that had there was you know a very military looking kind of cover and then um and then one day also and i got sent a new cover and it you know it, the whole thing had been softened and there was this enormous <laughs> To me, it's still kind of a bizarre cover. This woman's face, sort of hovering over everything, and I was told, you know, that's that's what marketing says we got to do to, um, because you know the the market so much is um, dominated by women now, Um, and obviously that didn't happen to my book because I'm a woman. Um, So, but the that that's just a like, it it just it poisons the discourse in a way that um, is really discouraging to me. There's a question back there.
5: I don't know if this answers it, but I have a friend who teaches at Stanley Lake High School English, and occasionally she asks me for new books to put on the summer reading list, and she's like, and guys have to like it, because the girls will read anything, but the boys will only read certain books. So she asked me specifically to come up with stuff, and I can't blame her, because she's just trying to get her kids engaged in the only way she knows how to do it. Um, But I had good English teachers that even when certain books were assigned um they did cool things like um they brought in like an african-american literature specialist to open us to the world of african-american literature or specialists to introduce other things even even when um the ones that are assigned were not very balanced so hopefully people would do things like that yeah
6: an expectation that women will write in a certain way or about certain topics. And, and a sort of an inability to digest something that diverges from that. Um, and, and so that I, for me personally, what that has meant is a battle, an internal battle with when I sit down to write all those voices out there and how are they deforming what I might want to write. And I'm wondering, what extent have you encountered that what is your novel about
5: do you, do you, yeah. well um, well my my novel that was published a couple of years ago um has two different perspectives one is a man and one is a woman and if you look at it it has a, it's very dude it has a baseball and a bullet <laughs> the cover i don't i don't like the cover but but it's it, i didn't get softened and um i didn't think about that i think you write often from male perspectives too don't you I just wrote about it because I was raised by in a family of two brothers and a very strong dad and that was the topic but since then I have and I had half women the only conversation I had about that is when my agent was trying to sell it he said that there was one imprint um, that wanted it more womaned up or something he's like I think if you just because I started the alternation with a man instead of a woman he's like I think if you just put another chapter in front that starts with the woman then they won't have that problem it's just like we'll trick them to think that it's equal but I, I didn't ultimately do that i published it the way i wanted to um but then so i didn't think about it at the time because that was a story i wanted to write and it didn't influence me but since then i've read um things where I, maybe it was um lauren groff who, who pointed out that women who use male protagonists are more respected like zadie smith does that or um uh, what's her name in wyoming Annie Prue Annie Prue uh, a, a lot of the women the, the ones that win the prizes Use male protagonists I didn't think of that But uh, my next book Has a female <laughs> protagonist I'm like Ooh, I don't know But I'm not I don't care I'm not gonna Change it to a boy <laughs> I don't know I don't think you can I don't think You can't let that You can't let it Into your private space Where you write <laughs> Put this Close the door All this stays in the tent Right um, you go out and fight and w- when you're buying your books and you're, you're writing on the internet and stuff like that but when you're writing your, your work write your work can I add something to
12: that so I, I kind of know the author Lydia Yuknovich and she wrote a book um, she published two, two years ago The Chronology of Water and it's it's um, it's definitely a woman's story and it's a lot about uh, the abuse she, she suffered at her dad and how she was you know how she messed up, and you know there was drugs and sex and all that stuff. And the thing in the whole narrative is she, she insists on not having a re- transformation or redemption narrative in the book. And when she said when she when she submitted it to publishers, almost all the all the major publishers told her, can you take out all the sex and violence? And she said, yeah. And then you want to publish nineteen pages? <laughs> <laughs> In the end, she went with a small press, all But I, you know, what do you think about expectations? This, this expectation that if a, if a woman writes, it has to be set certain topics, and to riot about you know sex and all that, it has to be this you know transformative redemption up at the end of it. And
8: hmm. it's, it's out
12: there.
8: You know, I just want to say that you know this is the final frontier. Like for a lot of things, like we know women are airplane pilots and soldiers certainly weren't when I was growing up. But we also know they don't make very much money compared to men. And they aren't, you know, they are lawyers, but it's very hard for them to get to the partners in many firms. And, and so I want to remind everybody that, you know, when Virginia Woolf wrote A Room of One's Own, uh, since then, women have published callous books, won many prizes. Nine women have won the Nobel Prize since then, whereas before, I don't think hardly anyone did. And, um, so it's, it's kind of like when I read this theater report, I was like kind of shocked because it had never really occurred to me that a lot of the stuff I considered bad luck might have been because I was a woman. And suddenly I was like, well, yes, you know. I mean, I think women are sort of, um, you know, they, they really um, have kind of uh, think they're okay uh, in many areas, but they're really not. And, and this is like kind of one of them women published
5: lots of Well, and I think the way to use that is to tell yourself when you 're submitting okay i 'm going to take a I believe in this piece i 'm going to take a hundred rejections before I even break. Right. Tell yourself That's that because it's not personal it's you know it's it 's the man i mean there's a chance that it's not good. And there's a chance that it's biased. Yeah. So you have to give it that chance by submitting a ton before you decide that. As the writer in your
6: private room, trying to distinguish between those two or what mix of the two might be going on can be infinitely complicated. Yeah, but I agree with you. And that's that's an aspect,
5: actually, that I think is neglected. in this But I do that based on um good rejections. Like if you're getting personal comments... I'm like, okay, I'm close. Every time I start to get personal comments, it eventually gets published. If I'm getting like the the little mimeograph thing all the time, okay, that needs to go back to the drawing board.
4: I will just say, like, as a guy, I find it. I mean, I've got a folder of. Actually, I started throwing them out, so I don't have a folder anymore. But you know, I ha- I have lots of and lots of rejections, and it's, um, you know, that to some extent, that's just part of the writer's life, and it like so I. I just, to me, like I find it hard to imagine, you know, having the extra layer on top of that of feeling like maybe I'm being rejected because I'm a woman. Like that, um, that sucks. And as a, as a guy, like I don't want to feel like I'm being like my stuff's getting published. Again, like I want I want I want the good stuff to get out there. Like I don't want my stuff being as frustrating as it is that my crap's getting rejected. Like I don't want it being accepted over someone some woman who's you know writing better stuff so it's yeah it sucks
3: Um, I also wanted to, I was thinking about, as we were talking about um, the way that women, women are the bulk of the book buying audience, right? The bulk of the money is spent. And yet we tend to buy often male stories, except for the lit that Mario mentioned. There's a lot of genre, um, women writing in romance and stuff that are making money. But I have a friend who's a, she's a strong feminist. She's very, um, her, her, her book was rejected. Eventually it didn't get published because the arc of her redemption was not, Redeeming enough, I guess it wasn't Cinderella enough. And um, she recently, I saw she posted on Facebook or a blog or something that she was reading um, Jonathan Franzen's Freedom to her dying mother. And um, why why is she doing that? Like why? Because everyone says that's the good book. That's what she needs to be reading. This is what is happening in literature right now is Jonathan Franzen. So I think there's also just a way in which women need to start to stop deferring so much to the the sort of male hierarchy stop deferring to the to the men in charge and start you know actively appreciating um women authors and sort of writing into our deepest darkest womanliest shit with um as all the passion that we have and stop I feel like there's a way in which women tend to um di- we discount ourselves as often as men discount us
2: Now you
4: have to say something Well I guess on a on a more positive note I do feel like it's it is starting I feel like it has been shifting like you you've said I mean it's it's clearly shifted from where it was a hundred years ago and when you know George Eliot felt like she had to change her name and um and yeah I I, I was looking at the National Book Award and the Pulitzer Prize and I have it here somewhere you know four four of the last eight Pulitzer Prizes have been women and three of the last eight um National Book Awards have been gone to women um and there's, you know, I, I feel like the discussion is more out there than it's been. And I feel like, um, you know, McSweeney's and et cetera are seeing these VITA numbers and feeling like they need to respond to them. And I think you just have to keep pushing and, and the culture does respond over time as, as that, that happens.
5: But you have to take pride in people like Karen Russell who just busts out at like 25 and finalists for the Pulitzer Prize and writes three books and people like Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie who does the same thing. And there's a lot more of them now, I think. That's true.
1: Okay. Okay, I just... Were there final thoughts you guys wanted to share? Or do you feel like you shared your thoughts? You're drained. Um, I want to thank you all for being here. I want to thank our panel for taking on this topic. It's often a thankless topic. Um, but I thought you guys handled it really well and, and gave us some hope. And um, So thank you all. We'll see you tomorrow for the participant reading. It'll be fun. And then the final party on Friday.
0: Lighthouse would like to thank the following generous donors that make events like this possible. The Scientific, Cultural, and Facilities District, the National Endowment for the Arts and Artworks, Colorado Creative Industries, Denver Arts and Venues, and many others. For more information about Lighthouse Writers Workshop, please go to lighthousewriters.org.